A reading from the book of Matthew. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next, for truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house of Beelzebul, how much more they will malign those of his household. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, Proclaim on the housetops, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, as we come now to your word, we ask for your Holy Spirit. We ask your spirit to be very, very active among us. Um, Father, uh, when we open up the Bible, uh, we read this very, very old book. And yet in an audacious way, we anticipate, we expect that you will speak to us uh, through this very, very old book because it's because you promised to. And we were just singing about how you keep your promises. And Father, I know that many of us uh, on this call right now aren't, aren't deep down entirely confident that that's the case. But Father, I pray that you will prove yourself faithful again and again and right now. So Father, come by your Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would go down into the depths of our hearts, into those bits that we can't, we're not even aware of that are resistant to trusting you, resistant uh, to believing that you're faithful. And will you right there um, uh, uh, untie those knots, so to speak, 
um, uh, uh, get us to a place where we're able to say, Jesus, yes, will you please speak? Will you please speak to me? Will you have uh, unfettered access to the deepest parts of my soul to do in us and in me what it is that you want to do? And now will you grant us to listen, to hear, not just, not me, but you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Everyone, it's really good to see you. Um, will you please flip back to the gospel reading? That's the big, longer reading that we uh, just heard. It comes from the gospel of Matthew. That's one of the four uh, gospels or lives of Jesus. Um, we're going to pick up today exactly where we left off last week. If you were here with us, Matthew Hoskinson, uh, the Reverend Dr. Matthew Hoskinson, wonderful guy, uh, preached for us, and it was really, really helpful. We're picking up on literally the next sentence and the next several paragraphs. Um, and as you turn there, it'd be really helpful if you keep it in front of you. Um, let me tell you a question that's a little bit up for me, and I wonder if it's up for you. Here's the question. How can we uh, individually and together as a manual church, as a team together, how can we be a people who are marked by wisdom? And in particular, how can we be a people who are marked by wisdom in the midst of all the crazy that's going on around us? Can you see why that's a really important question to ask? How can we be a people of wisdom in the midst of the crazy? Um, because there's a lot of crazy going on right now, right? Um, and it's all over the place. There's in, and more specifically, there's a lot of conflict going on. There are a lot of voices right now all around us. And many of them are screaming really, really loudly. And they're screaming, some of, the, some of them are screaming, some of the voices are screaming for very, very good reasons. There is, and a lot of the conflict is happening for really good and important reasons, right? There's evil around us. There is injustice around us. There is corruption around us. And right now, it's a little bit of a unique moment because it's some of that evil and that injustice and that corruption is more vivid to some of us than it was previously. There is soul-crushing suffering around us. So, of course, the voices are screaming, and some of them should be screaming. And the thing is, some of the voices that are screaming right now are wise and righteous, and we dare not ignore them, right? But by the same token, there are other voices that are foolish and maybe even wicked, and we dare not listen to them. And that's why I'm asking the question, how shall we become a wise people? Because I'm not confident that I can always tell the difference between the different voices. Are you confident that you can tell the, the difference between wise voices and silly voices, maybe wicked voices? How can we be a people who are marked by wisdom, who are able to discern the difference between terrible voices and the voices that we must listen to? How can we become a wise people? But then there's more. And here's the more. I don't want to just be wise. I want, I want us, don't you want this? We want to be a people who are able to shine light into the midst of the darkness. We want to be we want to be about justice. We want to be about, I know this is a tough word, but righteousness in the biblical idea of that. We want to resist evil. We want to not just be able to see what is evil. We want to engage it. We want to press against it. We want to be 
you know, on the side of good. How can we be wise? How can we confront the evil that is around us? Can you feel why this is an important question? Now, keep all that in mind and look at the reading. Because the context here is that Jesus is talking to his very first disciples and he's training them to be uh, his ambassadors in the world. And the mission that he's giving the disciples is a mission that passes to all people of God and to the Emmanuel church. And now look at the passage and watch how Jesus begins his training session. He says this, if you got your Bible, if you got your service sheet, take a look at it, verse 16. Jesus says, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. I bet that got their attention. I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpent and be innocent as doves. Jesus never did a bait and switch. He was really straightforward that if you're going to be his disciple, you are going to have to face and confront evil head on, and you're going to have to suffer for it. Now, we'll talk about that more in a few minutes, but what I want you to see is right at the beginning of Christianity, Right at the very first moment when Jesus was tr first training his very first disciples, Jesus from the beginning was teaching his disciples how to be wise and innocent in the face of crushing conflict and overwhelming evil. Christianity was designed from the very beginning to help us navigate situations like we're in right now. And I want to learn, don't you, how to be wise and how to be innocent. We've got to. All right, here's what I want to show you today. Emmanuel, if we want to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, then here's what we need to do. We've got to hold Christ close to us, and then we need to hold Christ up. I'll explain what I mean, but holding Christ close leads to wisdom. Holding Christ up leads to innocence. Let me explain what I mean. Go to the reading and just imagine the situation, right? Okay, so Jesus is teaching his disciples how to be his ambassadors in the world. He's about ready to send them off on a trip. They're going to go around preaching and stuff like that. And I'm going to paraphrase what he's saying, but he says basically this. He says, listen, disciples, um, every source of authority that you have ever learned to trust and obey or fear is going to become your enemy. He says, kings, I'm paraphrasing, kings and the political establishment, they are going to hate you, says Jesus. He says, religious leaders and synagogues are going to hate you. And then Jesus says, verse 21, even your own family is going to hate you so much that some of them are going to try to kill you. Now, that had to be a pretty depressing training meeting, right? But just consider how disorienting this must have been for Jesus's first followers. Because in that culture, your family, I know for a lot of us, we have a real conflict in our family, but in this culture, your family were the people you instinctively trust. That's part of what it meant to be the family. And on the other hand, the religious leaders, they were the ones that were supposed to teach you what to say. You're supposed to say what they say. That's part of the thing, that's part of the point. And then kings and political rulers, those are the guys you fear, because they kill you if you get out of line. But now Jesus looks at the disciples and he says, listen, I'm going to completely rearrange who it is that you fear, who it is that you trust, and what it is that you're going to say. Now, I know that none of that's quite clear yet, but one of the best ways to understand Jesus' teaching in a situation like that, this, is to look at how Jesus lived it out in his own life. Because Jesus never taught anything that he didn't live out. So let me pause 
on this passage for a few minutes. And let me show you a few examples from Jesus's life about how he fleshes out his teaching here. Once we look at Jesus's life, we'll come back to the passage and it'll come clear. Okay, what I wanna show you is that Jesus, in his ministry, he was wise as a serpent all the time. What I mean is he knew who to fear and who to trust and what to say. So think about Jesus's life for a second. Um, A few years after this point, Jesus gets arrested. You probably heard that story. And after Jesus gets arrested, he's standing in front of a guy called Pontius Pilate. Now, Pontius Pilate was the emperor, the Roman emperor's representative in in Israel and Judah, Jesus's area. Pontius Pilate stood for the emperor, for the king. And so he's Sitting in front of Jesus, Jesus has been beaten up. He's been mistreated. Jesus is standing uh, in chains in front of Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate is representing all of the power and the authority of the Roman Empire. And then he says this. You can read about it in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 19. Pontius Pilate says, Jesus, he doesn't call his name, but don't you know that I have the authority to release you or to crucify you? Now, what's Pontius Pilate doing? Well, he's doing what he always did. He's intimidating, or he's trying to intimidate. Because Pontius Pilate was one of the scariest guys around because he could kill people all the time, and he did. He killed a lot, a lot, a lot of people. In fact, he eventually kills Jesus. He's a scary guy. And he's used to uh, people uh, being frightened of him, and he's used to intimidating other people. But he tries it on Jesus. Trouble is, Jesus is different. And part of the reason Jesus is different is that Jesus is as wise as a serpent, which means Jesus knew who to fear. And Jesus looks back at Pilate with all of his pomp and power, and he says, listen, actually, you don't have any authority over me, Pontius Pilate, unless it is given to you from above, from my Father in heaven. Now, what's the point there? Stay with me. What's happening there is it means that Jesus does not fear Pilate. He fears God. Pilate could kill Jesus' body, ends up. He does kill Jesus' body. But Jesus, despite knowing that he's about ready to die, Jesus knows that God, his father, is the one who's really fundamentally and deeply in control, even in the midst of Jesus' suffering. And so Jesus, because he could fear God, could see through Pilate's bravado, and Jesus did not cower before Pilate. Now keep this in your mind and go back to our passage, in particular verse 28. Jesus says in verse 28 to his disciples, he says, do not fear those who can kill the body but can't kill the soul. Rather, fear the one who can throw both your body and your soul into hell, meaning fear God. Now, slow down with me, Emmanuel. This is one of the signs of being wise as a serpent. According to Jesus, part of the heart of wisdom, you can see this in the book of Proverbs, but I'm not going to go there. Part of the heart of wisdom is bound up with this question. Who is it that you fear? Who is it that you fear the most? And Jesus's point is this. Fear God. Fear God above all. And through fearing God, you're going to gain wisdom because you'll be able to see through the spectacle of power, 
human power and you'll be able to recognize what is good and true and beautiful in this world and you'll also re recognize what's phony and false and stupid in this world. Fear of the Lord leads to wisdom in the midst of this world. If you want to be discerning, if you want to know the difference between voices that you can trust and voices that are terrible, then you've got to fear God above other people. Because on the other hand, if we fear people more than we fear God, which, by the way, don't forget, is the default setting of your heart and mine. If we fear people above God, then what will happen is, inevitably, we're going to be swayed by stupid. A lot. So, Emmanuel, if, don't you want to be wise like a serpent? And the only way we're going to be able to do that is by, what I say, holding close to Christ, holding Christ close to us. What I mean is being close to Jesus's teaching, because the closer we are to Jesus's teaching, the more we will fear God and the more we will gain discernment in God's world. The first mark of being wise as a serpent is bound up with the question, who is it that you fear? But then let's keep going. Another uh, moment in Jesus's life. Jesus not only knew who to fear, he also knew who to trust. So, once again, a few years later, after uh, this, this uh, teaching that we're looking at today, Jesus, well, at just a few hours before he was in front of Pontius Pilate, Jesus was in a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. And he was about ready to get arrested. He knew he was about ready to get arrested. And he also knew that pretty much all of his disciples either had uh, abandoned him or would abandon him very quickly. Actually, that's not entirely true. All the men disciples abandoned him. The women didn't, often overlooked. But not only did most, pretty much the men, uh, abandon Jesus, one of his disciples, Judas, actually actively betrayed him and turned him over to the authorities. Now keep that in mind and glance at verse 21, because Jesus, when he's looking at his disciples, some maybe years before this point, he says, listen, there's going to be a point when you're following me that even your brothers and your family are going to deliver you over to be killed. Well, Jesus knew what that was like later on because his metaphorical brothers abandoned him and one of them turned him in. Now here's the question, Emmanuel. Who do you trust when no one's trustworthy. Well, go back to Jesus in the garden. Because Jesus is wise as a serpent. And the second mark of real wisdom is this. Wisdom knows who to trust, even when it seems like no one's trustworthy. Because in the garden, Jesus mostly abandoned, he goes to prayer and he says this, he says to God, I'm paraphrasing, he says, Father, if there's a way that I can avoid the cross and suffering, I'm up for that. But then fundamentally, Father, I trust you. I trust you in the midst of my suffering. Father, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. I trust you in the midst of my suffering. I trust, Father, that you are, are in charge, that you are sovereign, and that your sovereignty cares for me, even in the midst of grinding suffering, even in the midst of a moment where it seems like there is no good path before me. Nevertheless, I, Father, I trust that your path is good for me, and that you are sovereign, and that you are in control of my life, and so I trust you. He knows who to trust. It's one of the signs of wisdom. It's one of the signs of being wise as a serpent. Keep that in your mind, and look at verse 29. 
Because Jesus talking to his disciples, he says this. He says, guys, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? What's his point? Keep going. And not one of, not one of those sparrows falls to the ground without, so to speak, the permission of your father in heaven. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he looks at you today and he says, even the hairs of your head are numbered by your father in heaven. So fear not because you're worth more than many sparrows. What, what does that mean? It, here, here's what it means. Emmanuel, do you want to learn a kind of fearless wisdom? We need it because we live in a fearsome world. If you want to learn a kind of fearless wisdom, then learn to trust that God, your father, is in control. He really is in control. Despite the chaos around us, your God, your father, is in control. And God, your father, loves you. And God, your father, will use his power and his love to orchestrate your life and especially your experience of suffering to resolve towards his good purpose in your world, just like he did for Jesus. All right. But the only way to gain that kind of wisdom, because there's nothing default about that, right? Like there's nothing in me that wants and, and, and naturally trusts God's sovereignty in my world because it looks like, especially when everything, when the wheels come off, it's, I mean, I can kind of talk about sovereignty when everything's going fine, but when everything's, when the wheels fall off, the only way that we're ever going to learn to trust our, our father in the midst of that is if we hold close to Jesus. We've got to hold close to Jesus, which, what do I need? I need this. We've got to learn from Jesus. We've got to sit at his feet. We've got to make sure that Jesus's voice is the loudest voice in our lives. What's the loudest voice in your life? That voice is probably the voice you're trusting the most. And if you can answer that question, it'll give you an insight into what it is that you're really worshiping. Okay, so Jesus's wisdom, being wise as a serpent, yeah, it... It changes who we fear and who we trust. And therefore, it also changes what we say. Go back to Jesus. Jesus always knew the right thing to say, right? There's a famous story. You can read about it in the Gospel of John chapter 8. What happens is uh, the religious leaders, uh, folks with weird collars like this and clergy, they catch, I don't know how this happened. I don't want to think about it. They catch a woman somehow in adultery. No one knows what happened to the dude. Apparently, he got off scot-free. Um, horrendous injustice and frighteningly familiar. But adultery was a capital offense in that day. The law said that she had to die. And therefore what happens is the religious leaders try to catch Jesus in a political trap. What they say is, hey Jesus, what side are you on? Are you on the side of the law? Or are you on the side of not the law? Shall we follow the law of Jesus and kill her? Or shall we subvert the law and let her off? That was the question they posed to Jesus. But here's the thing about Jesus is he was wise like a serpent and he knew what to say. And the reason he knew what to say is that he feared God above all and he trusted God above all. And therefore Jesus knew that God finds no home in political parties and in God, justice and mercy embrace each other. And therefore Jesus said, well, let the one who is without sin throw the first stone. Which was a brilliant thing for Jesus to say, because in saying that, he unveiled the sin 
of the self-righteous religious rulers. And one by one, they dropped their stones and they started walking away until just Jesus and this woman were alone. And Jesus looked at her and he showed the kindness that embraces justice. And he says, I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. And evil was broken in that moment. Now, here's the point. Fearing God and trusting God teaches us how to speak for God. And that's at least part of the point of verse 19. Take a look at it. Verse 19, Jesus says, uh, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious about what you're going to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father will be speaking through you. See, Emmanuel, when you hold Christ close, and especially when you hold Christ close and learn from him over the course of many years, and as you grow in intimacy with him, what happens is he reshapes you to fear God. He reshapes you to trust God. And that closeness and that intimacy of your soul with Jesus Christ causes you to increasingly resemble Jesus. And as you resemble Jesus, the spirit empowers you to speak words of wisdom and words of life and words of light that you may not have planned, but that are the natural eruption of a soul that's tethered close to Christ. Fear God, trust God, and you will learn through the Spirit what to say for God in the midst of evil. And that's how we are to grow in wisdom. Who do you fear? Who do you trust? That'll shape what you say. And the only way to become wise like a serpent like that is to hold Christ close. Not arm's distance. Playtime's over. We got to hold Christ close. The urgency of the moment means we've got to do this, friends. Now, I've been emphasizing how to be wise like a serpent, uh, but all of this is also the key to being innocent as a dove. Because look back at the text. Do you see how Jesus sends his disciples, the first ones and us, he sends us like lambs among the wolves. And that had to be scary. But what that means is that we are all of us going to come face to face with evil we're going to come face to face with the evil of our own hearts. We're going to come face to face with the evil of our nation and the evil of our city and the evil resident within our own families. And we're going to come face to face with this evil all over the place because evil is a pervasive reality in a broken world like ours. And therefore, when we come face to face with evil, we're going to have to figure out how we're going to respond to it. Now, here's one way to respond to it. See if you can identify with this. One way to respond to evil, coming face to face with evil, is to just kind of check out. Hey, I want to be innocent. <laughs> I don't want to be up in all the yuck. I want to be innocent. I want to exit the conflict. I'm going to go, this is one thing we can do, I can, I'm going to go hide out in safe little cultural enclave where everybody agrees with what it is that I say and every, I get a lot of likes. And because I'm insulated from the people I disagree with, then, then I can reassure myself and soothe myself that I'm okay. I'm not on a bad team. At least I'm a safe distance from the conflict. Now, that's a pretty intuitive thing to do, but it's not Jesus. Jesus is not a coward. That is to say, Jesus did not cower from conflict. If he had cowered from conflict, then we are all left in our sin, and we are slaves of evil, every last one of us. But that's not what Jesus does. 
And that's not what Jesus means by innocent. He doesn't mean detach from the conflict and just keep yourself safe. But on the other hand, nor does he mean face evil by returning evil for evil, because that's the other temptation. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr., I've been reading some of his sermons lately, and they're just phenomenal. But he says this, he says, returning hate for hate multiplies hate, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness, mark this, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Now, let me say the same thing he's saying, but reshape it a little bit in terms of our passage. When you face down the wolves in this world with all of their vicious hate, we come against them with the innocence of a dove, which means we hold up Jesus. We hold up Jesus in the midst of the darkness. We gain wisdom by holding Christ close. We engage the evil by holding Christ up. What does that mean? Well, it means we describe the beauty of Jesus Christ. It means we imitate Jesus. We reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ. We look at the raging wolves around us and we say, I know who to fear and it's not you. And I know who to trust and it's not you. And because I know who to fear and I know who to trust, I also know who, what to say. And that message is this, Jesus Christ is Lord and you are not. And Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, has defeated evil. And Jesus Christ, in his death and resurrection, is the epicenter of reconciliation. And therefore, we hold up Christ in the face of the ravenous wolves. And that is how they are overcome. And you say, that's not in the text. Yeah, it is. Look at verse 26. So Jesus says, have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. Therefore, what I tell you, says Jesus, in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Hold up Christ. What I'm trying to say is that when Jesus tells us to be innocent as a dove, he doesn't mean that we cower away from conflict with evil. Jesus never cowers. He's not a coward. Rather, being innocent as a dove means following the path of Jesus. It means wading into the conflict because we're on a mission in the midst of it. And it means in the midst of the conflict, we ally ourselves to Christ and we hold Christ high because he is the epicenter of real justice and real righteousness and real reconciliation and real peace that the world cannot give. We hold Christ close to become wise. We hold Christ up, and that is the path to being innocent as doves in the midst of evil. But now I need to point something out that's scary, okay? Get ready to be scared. This is scary. Holding Christ up is the best way to resist the wolves. If that's true, then denying Christ is the quickest way to join in with the wolves and to become one. And that explains verse 32. Look at verse 32. Jesus says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. That sounds harsh, doesn't it? 
But what I want to show you is that it really has to be that way. Here's why. If I deny Jesus, and there's lots of ways of doing that, but if I let other voices be louder than Jesus's voice and drown out Jesus's voice and just sort of distance myself from Jesus and ally myself to voices other than Jesus, if I determine that I can do better without Jesus and I don't hold him close, then inevitably I will end up losing my wisdom. And as I lose my wisdom, I will listen to stupid. And as I fear people over God, I will end up trusting the untrustworthy. And then it will come out my mouth. I will speak in a way that compounds the darkness and I will end up a wolf. And here's the problem. In the final day when I stand before Jesus, if I have allied myself with the wolves, Jesus will not fear me any more than he feared Pontius Pilate. And Jesus will not be thwarted by my betrayal any more than he was thwarted by Judas's betrayal. And Jesus will not be fooled by my words any more than he was fooled by the religious wolves that surrounded that woman who was caught in adultery. And Jesus looking at me, recognizing me as a wolf, precisely because Jesus is innocent as a dove and he does not lie, he will name me before his father to be the wolf that I am. And that's why this is so deadly serious. Because the urgent question, Emmanuel, is not simply how can I be innocent as a dove and wise like a serpent. The urgent question is also how do we stop being a wolf? Um, right now, a lot of us are crushed by the weight of the evil that we see around us. And that's good. Don't soothe that. Feel it. But I want to know, have we been crushed by the evil and the weight of evil in our own hearts? Because you'll never fully really see how Jesus can overcome the evil that's outside us in the world around us until you see him overcome the wolfishness of your own soul. Can you see the wolfishness of your own soul? Because when you can, then you need to see this. Jesus not only sent out his disciples as lambs among the wolves, Jesus himself was a lamb in the midst of wolves. Jesus came engaging all the wolves, all the evil. And he came wise like a serpent and innocent as a dove. And the wolves, you know what they did to him? They tore him apart. But precisely as they ripped him to shreds, the lamb, what they didn't know, what the wolves didn't know is that as the lamb was dying, he was also purchasing the pardon for the wolves. The lamb, as he was being ripped apart on the cross, was suffering in the place of the wolves that put him there. The lamb who was poured out and poured out his blood was also pouring out a sacrificial kind of love that is so powerful that it can destroy the most virulent kind of evil. The Lamb of God was slain to save wolves, the ones who killed him and the ones who they came after them like me and you. Do you not believe that? And I say this and I emphasize it for this reason. We will never be able to hold Christ close or hold Christ high until Jesus Christ himself holds us close and holds us high. 
by his grace and his mercy that embraces justice and righteousness on the cross. Jesus died to save us when we were wolves. And therefore, the conflict that must begin is this. Jesus must engage the evil of our own hearts. He must engage the wickedness of our own souls. And therefore, acknowledge him. Acknowledge Jesus. Confess him. Confess the wolfishness of our own hearts. And then confess Jesus' mercy. And as you do that, he will interrupt the evil of your soul. He will transform you from a wolf and make you a lamb that resembles himself. And then we will be captivated by his mercy. And the more we are captivated by his mercy, the more you will fear the Father. Fear not with a cowering fear, but with an exalted, captivated fear. And you will trust your Father. And as you fear your Father and trust your Father in heaven above all things, then you will also speak on behalf of the Lamb. You will hold Christ close and you will hold Christ high. And that is how, Emmanuel, we will become wise like serpents and innocent like doves in the midst of a world full of crushing evil. And that is the only way we will ever be a gift to this world. So friends, look at the lamb. He's wise like a serpent. He's innocent like a dove. And he is where justice and mercy meet. And he, he is our good news. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com slash give.